Hello and welcome to the Lake Syria Vineyard Church podcast. We're glad you're here and hope that the following audio will be a blessing to you. If you'd like more information about who we are, where we are, and what we're all about, please visit myvineyardchurch.com. How you doing? Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're new today, if you're our guest this morning, a special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. We hope that you feel like you can settle in a little bit. My name is Troy Easton. I'm the lead pastor here, and I get the privilege of opening the scriptures with you today, which we're going to do right away. So if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to pull that out. If you want to pull out your device, you can use that today, too. We're going to be in Romans chapter 9 today. Romans chapter 9. As you're getting there, let me just uh, give you a quick reminder. Um, Today is the final day to register for a connect group. You've been seeing some of the information about that over the last few weeks, that this is our connect group semester here starting up today. The 11th is the deadline to register for small groups, life groups, or classes. So if you've not had the opportunity to take a peek at what's all available this semester, go ahead and do that today. MyVineyardChurch.com. You can click the connect group tab or you can point your phone at the QR code on the seat back in front of you and it'll help you get to where you need to be. Again, today's the deadline to register. Go ahead and do that. Okay, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna dive right in this morning. Sound good? Father, thank you for your grace today. Thanks for the opportunity to gather together and just lift high your name. God, you are worthy and you deserve it. And we're just grateful that we get this, these moments together to lean in and draw close. God, we thank you for the scriptures, for your word. It's the truth. Pray that you prepare our hearts today for what we're going to look at. I ask for wisdom and revelation and even tenderness in our hearts toward you today. This time's yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Okay, so we're going to be continuing with where we left off last Sunday in Romans chapter 9. And if you've been with us through this series, through the book of Romans, we've been doing this since August, we have talked extensively about the gospel and what God has graciously and mercifully and so generously made possible for humanity, i.e., already condemned, undeserving sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? It's that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And as of about five weeks ago, we've begun to learn that a person's sincere, heartfelt, authentic response to God in the gospel, that their belief and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord isn't just something that they randomly came to understand and believe on their own because the stars aligned. But actually, that a person's sincere faith and trust in Jesus is a gracious gift that's given them from God and something that God himself predestined before the foundation of the world to bring about in their life. Now, we don't have time to rehash all of this today and all that we've been talking about, so if you're our guest today, Um, You'll have to get caught up either on our website or our YouTube channel. Um, For sake of where we're going to be going today, let me just quickly highlight what we looked at last weekend so that we can dive in on the same page. If you were here, you'll remember that we looked at what Paul taught us about God's purpose of election. These are like no-no words in the Western church right now. But we looked at what Paul taught us about God's purpose of election. And the bottom line was that God 
Because he's God, that he gets to decide what he does and why he does what he does, right? And one of the undeniable things that scripture reveals to us that God has already done is that he has sovereignly chosen before the foundation of the world by grace those who are predestined to have a place in his plan of salvation. And to illustrate God's prerogative to choose as creator and to highlight the truth that this choosing happens by grace and according to the counsel of his will and is not based on a person's works or behavior or culture or genetics or family line or whatever, Paul talked a lot about Israel. Remember this from last weekend? And he reminded us of the story of Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac and God's choosing of Isaac over Ishmael. We also looked at the story of Isaac's sons, uh, twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and how God chose Jacob over Esau. And for some of us, Paul's teaching out of Romans 9, verse 1 through 13, it encouraged us. It blessed us. It stirred up greater confidence and assurance in our undeserved salvation that we've received by grace through faith. But for others of us, what Paul told us in those first 13 verses did not sit right with us, did they? Because if God elects and predestines people and their response to him before the foundation of the world, how can God hold people accountable to their response if he technically is the one who decided it? And how is it fair or even just that God only chooses some and not others. If you've not yet been offended by or challenged by all of this talk about God's sovereignty and the topics of election and predestination, today just might be the day. <laughs> because what we're about to hear from Paul, okay, from Paul, let's, let's remember who wrote this, in response to these anticipated questions in us around fairness and justice when it comes to God and his will and his plans, what we're about to hear is that really these questions that judge God and judge his will and judge his ways, what we're about to hear is that not a one of us has any authority to whether we believe we do or not, to judge God or put his will in question. And that ultimately the questions that stir in us about fairness and justice around these topics, though human and normal and very important to wrestle through, that these questions actually though reveal that we have an inadequate and improper understanding of who God really is an elevated understanding of who we are and ignorance around how truly ugly and unholy our sin is before God. Okay, so if you haven't turned there yet, we're gonna start reading in Romans 9, verse 14 today. My podium's a little wiggly. It's bothering me. <laughs> but we'll have to get over it, won't we? Okay, so here we go. You ever talk to yourself like that? I do all the time, and that just came out loud. So, um, 
<clears throat> we're going to pick up where we left off after verse 13. This is after we read about God loving Jacob and hating Esau. Remember that? And after Paul then, after we read this, Paul anticipates these questions that we have and the readers have about fairness and justice and the purpose of election. And we're going to need to move quickly today, so stay with me. Romans 9, verse 14 through 29 is where we're going. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? No, that's not right. (laughs) Paul didn't say yeah. (laughs) Paul says by no means. There is no injustice on God's part. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now we know what the definition of justice is, right? Justice is providing the right consequence or punishment for for breaking the law or for disobeying mom and dad or for doing something wrong, right? If you get caught speeding, justice means you get a ticket or a fine, right? Right? Yes, those of you are like, please give me a warning officer. Justice for somebody who stole money from their employer would be they would lose their job and probably go to prison, right? Justice for someone who was found cheating on a test. Justice would mean they would fail the test and likely the class. And justice for a child who blatantly disobeys mom and dad might mean a spanking, might mean extra chores around the house, might mean the confiscation of a mobile device. The point is we understand Justice, correct? So since we understand what justice is, let me ask you this. What does the Bible tell us is the just penalty for breaking God's law? The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the just penalty for breaking God's law, for not meeting God's standard for holiness and obedience. The Bible says that the just penalty for sinning, is what that is, is death, right? And death in this context is eternal punishment and separation from God, okay? So the just penalty for sin is death, okay? Let me ask you this now, who are sinners? Yeah, good job. I had this whole section to teach you that, but now I might get to skip that. James 2.10 tells us that sinners are anyone who break even just one of God's law. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we're all sinners, that's good. We're all sinners, that all human beings have broken God's law. We're all in the same club. And because that's true, and because God is just, then that means that justice from God toward humanity is that all humans should die. All humans deserve to be eternally punished and separated from God because of sin. That's what the Bible says. Because God is just, God has to punish sin. If he didn't punish sin, that would make him unjust, okay? 
So since the Bible says that's true, do you want God to be just toward you? Do you want to receive what the Bible says you deserve to receive? I don't. So then if you don't want what God and his words say that you deserve to receive, if you don't want God to be just toward you in dealing with your sin, then what is it that you want from God? That's right. You want God to show you mercy, right? You want to receive what you don't actually deserve to receive. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. And so here's the point that Paul is making here in these first few verses that we just read. If God was just just, you with me? If God was just just, if that was the only attribute of his character, if he was just just, then all human beings, every single one of us would be condemned. But because God isn't just, just, because he's also merciful, he's also compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love, not every human is by grace through faith in Jesus. And see, Paul, in saying here that God isn't unjust and then pointing to God's mercy and his prerogative to choose whom he wills to show mercy to, is Paul saying, you might think that God deciding to save some and not others makes God unjust. But actually, God choosing to save some instead of leaving all humans actually condemned, reveals that he's merciful. Because technically speaking, in God's justice, every human deserves to die. And technically speaking, he didn't have to make the way for sinners, but he did. And it would be just for God to leave everyone dead in their sin that would be justice. It is not unjust for God to show mercy. And Paul's comment in verse 16, his comment that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, is Paul saying because God is God, he gets to be God. And because he's God, he rightly gets to choose whomever he wants to show mercy and compassion to. But here's the thing. It's important that you understand that God's choosing to show mercy or not to show mercy isn't careless. It's not unintentional. It's not discriminatory. It's purposeful. It's done in love, the Bible says and grace, and grounded in the counsel of his will. Listen to how this continues, verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens 
whomever he wills. Now, we don't have time for the deep dive into this reference from the book of Exodus, but I think you can see very clearly the point that Paul is making when he says this here, right? God has a purpose. God has a will. And God will do what he wills, how he wills, with who he wills, for his glory. And yes, according to what we just read, that does mean that God shows mercy to some and that God hardens some as well. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And this is, this is a natural and normal question so many of us have when we look at this topic of God's purpose in election, and it has been my question before too for a long time. I mean, if God shows mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills, how is it fair for God to hold people responsible for and accountable to their response toward him and his promise? If their response toward him was already predestined and already a result of his working all things together according to the counsel of his will for his glory, how can God do that? Well, just wait till you hear how Paul responds to that question. Verse 20, he says this, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Or in other words, Paul's saying, okay, wait, 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 wait. Just wait a second here, okay? It's okay for you to have questions like this. It's okay for this to cause you to wrestle. However, even in your genuine curiosity, your confusion, and even concern around these truths, you need to be very, very careful right here. Do not forget, Paul says, who you are. Do not forget that you are just a human who had absolutely nothing to do with the creation of the world or even your own existence. This is God's world. And you're here because God decided you should be. He created you, remember that? And because you are not the creator, that means that you don't get a say in why you were made and what you were made for. Your life, church, and this is a message that our culture, including many of us here today, refuse to acknowledge. So as your pastor, may I lovingly just remind you of this truth today. Your life, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, your life is not yours. It's never been yours. 
You might think it is, but it's not. He's the potter. We are the clay. And that means that God didn't make you so he could bow down to you. God didn't make you so you could tell him what's up. God made you because he has plans and plans for you according to the counsel of his will for his glory. And because he's the potter, he's the one that made you, he gets to decide what your purpose is. Not you. And this is, this is the hard part to swallow and, and the jarring truth in this that yes, just like Pharaoh in the scriptures, the book of Exodus, a real human being who actually lived, just like Pontius Pilate, a real human being who actually lived, just like Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, some of the created have been allowed to continue in sin. Some of the created have been allowed to walk in wickedness and evil. Some have even been given hardened hearts on purpose to bring about God's will and to reveal more and more of who he is and what he's like to the world. Listen to this, verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So Paul right here, he's intentionally posing a question in order to make a point about God's purpose of election. And that question he raises here points to the truth that God, in order for those whom he elected and prepared beforehand for glory, verse 23 says, in order for them, those whom he decided to show mercy toward, people Paul refers to here as vessels of mercy, Paul's question here points to the truth that in order for people to really understand the magnitude of God's mercy toward them, that they also need to truly understand the severity of God's judgment and his wrath and his power. And God, based on what Paul has just pointed to in these two verses, has chosen to reveal his wrath and reveal his power and reveal his judgment in the way he deals with sinners and evil, wicked, hardened, and rebellious people. People who were born that way, just like you and I, do you hear what I just said? People who were born rebellious, born condemned, born sinners, but people who continue to be that way because God has chosen to endure their rebellion and evil instead of showing them mercy for his glory. See, it's just like we don't understand why the gospel is good news until we understand the bad news, right? 
The same is true about the nature and character of God. We would not understand or marvel at or appreciate God's mercy if we don't truly understand his wrath and his power. And that's why the scriptures are filled with examples and stories of both. Now, I don't have time to finish out the rest of 24 through 29 today. But essentially what they're about is the truth that God, before the foundation of the world, sovereignly decided to extend his mercy and compassion to more than just the people of Israel. Just like we talked about last weekend. That God's will and plans for Israel were never intended to just be for the Israelites, but also for the whole world, the Jew and the Gentile. And thank God, because we're the Gentile. And we'll get to talk about more, that more in the coming weeks. But before we end our time together today, I just want to make sure we're on the same page about the whole point of what we just got done reading through. Is. See, it's really important. It's easy. Not important. It's easy to, in these big conversations about election and predestination and God's sovereignty, really topics that many churches on this earth refuse to talk about because it is complex, it's complicated, it's derailing, it's jarring, it's distracting. It's easy to, especially when we look at passages like we just did, that talk about God's right and prerogative and authority as God, as creator, to do as he wills. It's easy to get distracted and derailed by what we don't like to hear and what we struggle to make sense of. And I get it, this is, this is hard stuff to process. We'd much rather talk about a God who's loving and gracious and compassionate, like he is. Slow to anger, rich in love. Who removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, who does not hold our sins against us. We love talking about that God. Because that's who he really is. But we, we'd much rather talk about that over the truth about God's wrath and his righteous and severe judgment and his right to elect and predestine those he's chosen for mercy. But you, you need to know, church, that even in the difficulty of those, these topics, as challenging as they are, as confusing as they can be, they are important. Because what we know and what we believe about God actually matters. It matters. We don't get to decide who God is. We don't get to create our own God. We don't get to tell God who he is. He tells us. Now with all that said, in all of this discussion about God's sovereignty and God's purpose of election, I just I want you to know, and I want, I want to be really clear with you this morning, that being able to make sense of how God is totally and completely sovereign and how everything, everything happens through him and by his will and how we as human beings are free and responsible for how we respond to the truth. I want you to know that our ability to make sense of how that works together isn't what's important. But do you know what is? I shouldn't say isn't what's important, isn't what's most important. But what is, is how we respond 
to the truth about God and his mercy and love offered to us in and through Jesus. See, the important questions that we should be asking ourselves in light of all of what we've been looking at in the scriptures regarding predestination and God's sovereignty and in light of what we just read today about God's mercy and his prerogative to show it to whomever he wants are not questions like how does this work or is God just and fair or am I a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy but rather the questions we should be asking ourselves in light of everything we've just discussed and honestly the questions that I believe God is prompting us with through all of this and the questions that stir in us a great fear of God are questions like do I really believe and trust in Jesus Have I truly surrendered my heart and my life and my will to the king? Am I truly submitted to God, his word, his will, and his ways? Because church, the answer to those questions determine everything. Everything. The topic of election, predestination, and the truth about God's sovereignty ultimately reveals that God is serious about showing love and mercy toward his created. And the fact that you are here today or listening online just reveals his seriousness about his love and desire for you. Worship team, if you guys wanna come on up. Would you guys please stand with me? I'm gonna pray here in a moment and then we're just gonna give you a few moments just to consider these truths, the scriptures today before you leave the auditorium. Do me a favor, do not push that starter right now. I'm serious. The magnitude of what we talk about is easily derailed when you hit that button and it vibrates in your pocket. These truths are meant to put you in a place to consider God and where you stand with him. So we're gonna give you a moment to reflect on those truths. We have a song we're gonna sing that will remind us of the truth about God and his love. And as we do that today, I wanna challenge some of you and encourage some of you to ask God to unveil your sin to you. Because if you do not understand how ugly your sin is before a holy God, you will never understand the mercy of God towards you. Ask him to give you eyes to see it for what it truly is. Some of you here today just feel confused And if that's you, Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. If you're feeling confused, may I just encourage you to be intentional in seeking wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from God and his word instead of allowing it to push you away. And then some of you here have never fully surrendered to the truth about Jesus. The Bible is really clear and it tells us that the the day that we come face to face with our king, there will be many that are surprised to find out that he never knew them. People who attend 
church faithfully, who serve with great devotion. Does he have your heart? Have you surrendered to him? And then one final note. This topic and this stuff, as expected, has stirred up some haters. That's okay. I assumed it would. Do me a favor, and as you talk about this amongst yourselves, and as you study the scriptures on your own, would you just do that respectfully, with integrity and character? That's an expectation I have as your pastor, to call you higher than what your flesh wants to do. Okay? If you want to have a conversation about all of this, I'm more than happy to do that with you. What I don't like to hear is the childish stuff that happens outside of this building. Got it? Let's worship. Hey, everybody. That's it for this week's sermon. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, myvenuechurch.com, to stay connected and to see how you can be a part of what God is doing here at our church. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you.